0: February, everybody, and welcome back to Kinda Radical. It is our second month of 2024. I hope everyone is doing splendidly. Um, I have a few life updates I want to give before we get into this great episode today. I have started my last semester of undergrad ever, and it's whooping my butt right now. It's really difficult. Work seems to be, like, piling on. I'm just, like, working every day and coming home and doing homework. I wake up at 6 a.m. and do homework. I go to work for 8 or 9 hours. I come home and do homework until, like, 8 or 9 p.m. And then I go to bed. So it's exhausting, but it's my last semester ever, and that's really frightening. So I'm kind of, like, trying to hold on to it at the same time as, like, getting it out of my system as fast as possible. Um, It's also February, and that means it's Valentine's Day. I am not a big fan of Valentine's Day for the same reason I don't like Thanksgiving because I think that you should love your loved ones every single day, not just make an excuse to love them one day out of the year. But happy Valentine's Day. I do love you all. I love you all every day, but I guess I'll love you all like a little bit more on February 14th. Anyway, it's also a leap year. I think leap years are just the most insanely socially constructed thing it's literally not socially constructed. It's scientifically constructed, but whatever. It's wild. It blows my mind. But have have a great February 29th this year. Okay, I'm going to cut the chit chat because today is maybe perhaps my best episode yet. I have a professional guest. This is the first time I've had a guest that wasn't just like a friend who wanted to be on the show. So, I was super excited. I reached out. I was so nervous. Did not really expect a response. Got a response immediately that she wanted to be on my show. I was kind of, like, freaking out fangirling a little bit. (laughs) But I'm gonna introduce our guest, and then we have about an hour-long interview today. So, let's get this started. We have Miss Libra Ford here with us today. She would like you to know that she is a woman-identifying person, and she is a mother to her three superpowers whom she loves very much. So, we are gonna get this started. With Libra Ford. Hello, Libra. Welcome to my show, Kinda Radical.
1: (laughs) Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. I'm very grateful to have you here. You are my first guest that is a professional in your (laughs) field. I would consider you a very professional in your field. And we have a lot to talk about today, but I would first like to start with just kind of an overview of who you are, what you do, and what is special about you.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, so first and foremost, I am a woman identifying human with a just heart, and the reason why I like to speak about my heart is because I let my heart lead my work and my decisions, uh, and I let my mind guide based on its experience and its logic. Um, But most importantly, I'm the mother of three superpowers who have literally provided me the um, ability and the know-how to do everything that I do today. Um, So what do I do on paper? I am an executive director for Women's Foundation of Oregon, And uh, Women's Foundation of Oregon focuses on dismantling sexism, racism, and oppressive structures for women and girl-identifying people in Oregon. And we do that by sharing ideas and distributing resources. So we're philanthropic. Um, I feel extremely honored and privileged to be leading a philanthropic organization because we all know that resources are limited. In particular with women, um, most um, dollars and resources around women and girls is only about 1.6 percent of all resources distributed in the state of Oregon. so it's pretty cool to be a part of trying to change that phenomena um, for that population. Um, what have I done? I mean, I've um, people speak a lot about how I've been an advocate in, in Oregon, in Hawaii, in Arizona, in California, um, if I was to summarize what I've done in my life up until this point, and I'm nowhere near done, I've always been a, a fighter um, for justice. Uh, I've, uh, I've had um, teachers from my past remind me that I was a justice fighter even as a young child Um, speak of how I was very quiet until something or someone was done wrong. And all of a sudden, um, I had this big voice. Um, And so to hear people speak about me in that way and to look back on what I've done, it is absolutely who I am to the core of me. um, I will always fight for those that are unseen, um, don't always have the platform to be heard. I will fight for them to get a platform. I will always fight for not just those that need, but also for our future. Um, When I think about why I do those things, um, I think my ancestry has a lot to do with it. Being a black woman requires a lot of um, perseverance and um, stick-to-itiveness in a lot of scenarios. And I think about my situation now and some of the privileges that I'm afforded in this world and there's still a lot of justice missing. But at the same time, I know that I come from a history of people who didn't have half of what I had, but fought for what I have and knew that there would be a Libra Ford one day. Um, and so that's my why. Um, always trying to do that for the next whoever. And I may not know their name or I may not know what they look like. But making sure that um, they have a space and they feel welcome, like they belong, like they can do and be and exist in a world that they can love in and be loved. Uh, to yeah. me, that's what justice is. Um yeah, I answer all your questions. I think that was it. Yeah, that was great.
0: Um Wow, what you just said, uh, they knew there would be a Libra Ford in the world one day. That, ooh, that like kind of gave me chills for a second because that's just like an incredible thing to say. What a great way to put that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um let's talk about kind of some things that you've been doing recently with mm-hmm. local politics. <laughs> um you had a run for Clackamas County Commissioner. Mm-hmm. Can you explain how you decided to get into that, like how the positions you've held in the past kind of led to a pol- political thinking and mm-hmm. where you were planning on taking that?
1: Yeah. So my entire life, since I was in middle school, my dream was to become the president of the United States. Of course. and um, everything I did was aiming towards that dream, every conversation, every mentor I chose, Uh, and so politics was something that I knew I would be in, how and when was unclear to me, Mm -hmm. I had children very young, and so I didn't know how that path would become mine, Um, and then I was associated with the military, I was married to someone who was in the Marine Corps, and then deployments happened, so then again, my path just wasn't clear there either, Um, but I think my first political stance was uh, in Hawaii, and my youngest daughter, this is how I began to call my kids my superpowers, she has been allergic to nuts since she was two, And uh, at this time, when she was in school, um, peanut butter in schools was a pretty regular thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the base, which is where she went to school, uh, many of the enlisted individuals, which is who I was associated with, their base salary is so low. Um, Food insecurity is a thing. And so peanut butter and jelly was a really regular meal because it was affordable and it was something that everyone could have. But we were having trouble with her coming home with um, just allergy symptoms every day. So there was a PTA meeting. I went to it and, and they were like, oh, anything we need to discuss, we need to know about. And so I raised my hand and was like, hey, I've got a daughter. She's allergic to nuts. And I'm wondering if we can talk about um, creating an environment where she can feel more safe in terms of her health. And immediately the crowd attacked me because of food insecurities. They just couldn't fathom not having peanut butter in the schools. And it was the first time that I felt, um, one, I felt a little like, whoa, my kid is in danger. Like she's deathly allergic to this. Like just EpiPens all over our world, everything. And no one in this room could understand that. They were more concerned about their economic situation, which is a thing, and I know food insecurity is a thing, Um, and I was trying to provide suggestions on how we could manage it for all, you know, so everyone could be seen and heard and safe, and no one really was interested. So I decided to take it to um, the principal. Uh, The principal was listening, then I took it to the school board, then I took it to the base general until we removed peanut butter from the schools. And it was my first time um you know, I was doing it for my daughter, but then i as I was doing it, there were more people around me who were sharing their challenges with other allergies um that were not being recognized and it was the first time I realized, oh, okay, we need we have voices here that haven't been heard, so I think that was when I decided that maybe that was my path, like fighting for youth mm-hmm. um. And because I had youth, it was a, an environment that I was in often, and so it afforded me a pathway that made sense to my life at the time, and it didn't take me away from my children. And I think my second kind of entry into politics was also in Hawaii, where my kids were, uh, you know, they're military kids, and so deployments was a regular thing. Families around us, same thing. I decided to homeschool my kids because... Um, Often, you know, their father would call three in the morning, time difference, or uh, whenever they could, they were in a combat zone, right? But then, after that conversation, the waking up to get on a bus or to go to school was very complicated, emotional. Um, they missed him. They were scared. If they heard anything in the background, bombs or whatever, it just created this it was a constant trigger. So I decided to homeschool them. And as I was homeschooling them, I was like, okay, I'm terrible at science. And so I started reaching out to other families that were good at science. We created this community of folks where we would switch off on what we were good at with this community of kids. And we realized we really created a school. Um, And so together, we created this kind of board and then I started a nonprofit for military kids because I realized I was learning more and more about the deficits in education and military kids and they move so much. went to Congress and we started a charter school in Hawaii um, and it was the first hybrid school in Hawaii in 2005. This is before the pandemic. right? Um, and the whole point of it being hybrid was military children would be able to be home on the phone, have any triggers happen, but not have to go to school, but still be able to do work online. Mm -hmm. Um, As we walked through that, I learned about the Hawaiian community and the fact that there's places there that are so remote, it takes three hours to get to school, kids drop out in the fourth grade. So we started to invite those families in, we wind up being across four islands. It is now the largest charter school in Hawaii. So that was my my second kind of like advocacy in politics because you have to deal with all types of congressmen and senators but that was my first like we can really make change together experience and then I knew I had found a pathway to politics Yeah. in in, uh, youth and education fast forward to Oregon ran for school board after being on a volunteer board to name a school out here which is uh now the the first high school in oregon to be named after a person of color so after doing that work with the community um i ran for school board. so the school board was my first election in politics Won that, and then uh, after being on there for a year, was elected as the chair of that board, and boom, we had the pandemic.
0: Oh, no! <laughs> yeah. uh, so,
1: uh, fast forward, um, did a lot of work with uh, health department, being on a school board, lots of county commission stuff, because we were always trying to work with them to figure out what are we doing, you know, how are we doing it, what's the news you know, can we open, can we not open? And then working with the county, realized it was a missing voice there in terms of one, being a person of color, but two, education and the impact that the county had on education and the, the lack of communication during that entire time. And so, um, yeah, after doing work with the board, decided I want to run for that, to try to help in that way. And uh, it was an 18-month run. I did great. I mean, I pulled in 80-something percent in the primary, and then I lost by, like, 12% in the um, general. Uh, And I tell folks all the time, I was the first person of color to ever run for county commissioner in Clackamas County. And I wanted to win. That was my goal. Um, I've been competitive all my life as a basketball player. But I also knew that it was bigger than me, and it was an opportunity to pull folks out in a very considered, conservative area, um, to pull folks out of their homes and allow them to have a voice, and that's exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. We had, um, I mean, we had over eighty thousand people say yes in my election um, within a in a, and we had the most votes ever show out in that election. And so that tells me something about community, right? People showed up, they showed out. Um, unfortunately, I did not win. And, and, and losing an election is an experience. But I also know that um, in life, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And I learned a lot about community. During that collection, that election, I learned who was here, I learned the um, experience of so many people that they were sharing with me. Again, similar to my other experiences, as you move through, people start to open up to you. These have been my privileges in these these, uh, platforms. And now I feel more rooted in this community than ever before um, because I know more, I've met more people. Um, I feel like I have a place here And as much as this is a conservative county and there's lots of people who would not like me to say that I have a place here, Mm -hmm. I absolutely have a place here and I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to contribute. Um, And that's kind of how I winded up in politics here in Oregon. I don't think I'll ever show up in any state and not wind up doing something that I have some experience in and I feel like I can contribute to. It is my... My way, um, and so I'm happy that I was able to do that. And I'm not done, you know. I'm still yeah. working through a lot of different things, but it's been a great ride so far.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like you've done already like immeasurable greatness uh, mm-hmm. where where you ever you have been living. Um, I want to talk about something that I am currently struggling with a lot. I'm about to graduate college, and I want to go into this world with a career that Mm -hmm. does something and makes a difference. And there's not a crack open for me (laughs) that I can find. And I'm applying to every single internship and every single job and reaching out to everyone I know and volunteer opportunities and reaching out to people for this podcast. And I can't seem to find a place where they want me. Mm. And mm. I mm. am struggling because I feel like starting at a local level is I'm I'm struggling to see the larger impact that that's gonna have. And I think that you have a lot to say about this because you've worked at a local level. Um in the grand scheme of things, Clackamas County is just a little mm. tiny place, but mm. like you said, such a massive community like supported you and Mm -hmm. so i guess personally and selfishly i'm asking for advice because i want to start at the top and the top's not letting me in and (laughs) i guess i what (laughs) please help me libra
1: (laughs) yeah top doesn't let me in either by the way but you know i just barge in but uh i get it and a statement you made was um trying to find a place where you, where they want you. And I think what I've learned is um, many places will not want you. They won't know that they need you. And those places, you know, they're losing out because they haven't really done the work that they need to do to make sure that they are seeking you. And that's not your issue. And it's not something that you need to solve for them. The most powerful way to find your place is volunteerism. It doesn't pay. So you may have to just do, you know, side things, and then volunteerism becomes like your other side thing, right? Like it's a full-time job. But everything that I've done in my life has started with volunteerism. And it wasn't until I now have a job, my last two jobs, I will say, were what I've been volunteering in and I got paid for it. And in my volunteerism, I used it to grow. So for example, when I was starting this school, I had a nonprofit, I had never started a nonprofit before, I learned. I started a board, I learned, right? Um, and then I learned all the state things, right? I learned how to talk to state officials. This was all on my volunteer time. Uh, fast forward. Now, when I'm on a board, I am well-versed, right? So people invite me to boards because they know I'm well-versed. I, I've learned the hard way through Mm -hmm. the trials and tribulation. Um, and now I have a job that all that volunteerism work is what I get paid to do. But it was through that work that also got me through the kind of gigs that I didn't really want to do. I was doing it just because I needed the money, but I would be okay because I knew that, you know, I would go home and start working on this other stuff. I believe that that's one pathway to find your why and your what. Um, I also believe another pathway is to know who and what you are and what and who and what you aren't mm-hmm. um and knowing those things you'll say no quicker to environments that'll just be a waste of your time right. um, because your environment and the people around you really will influence your pathway in ways that are you know indirect indirect right sometimes subconscious and unconscious so knowing those things through whatever process you use to get to that is really important. When I was in Hawaii before we started the school, I used to take Sundays. I've never like I I didn't grow up in the church, um, and I gravitated towards Buddhism early in my life, and so. I would take Sundays to like read a bunch of stuff, and then I'd journal and then I'd like reflect on what I journaled, right? really trying to learn who I am. Um And then that became like me having definitive understandings of like who I am and what I want to be around, what I don't want to be around. So to me, those two pathways have worked for me. I don't I know that there's plenty of other ways, but I think that volunteerism is key to people really learning and people seeing you because in those spaces you get to show up and they need you, right? So they're listening and they're doing all those things. And then the other part is knowing who you are and who you aren't. I think those are the two key things. And the last thing I'll say is patience. Um, That's a killer. It's a killer. And my, my oldest daughter and I have this, we have a tattoo on our arm. I don't know if you can, yeah, it says patience on it. hmm Um, And patience is hard, especially when you have passion and purpose just in your mind and heart and in every cell of your body. Patience is a hard thing to come by. But if you are patient, two things happen. The landscape becomes very clear to you in patience, right? Because you're leaning out instead of so far in you can't see it all. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that happens with patience is you really, really start to understand that there is no rush. Patience is key. Okay. You got a lot of time in front of you.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, I get caught up a lot in there's no time and i i mean i'm twenty one years old and I feel behind like yeah. i feel like I didn't do enough in high school mm-hmm. and I didn't meet enough and network enough in college and now I'm graduating in four months and mm-hmm. what in the world am I supposed to do?
1: yeah, so my oldest is twenty four mm-hmm. and I remember her not enough conversations with me um and then suddenly one day recently she said i need to start realizing that i am enough and i hand that to you because the world has done this thing to us as humans and making us think that we're not doing things fast enough you know it's all the the deficit approach thinking to achieving Mm -hmm. the reality is that you breathing you existing is enough because in that existence there's something that you're going to experience that is going to inform and elevate you to whatever is next that doesn't mean that we get to sit back and do nothing but the first step is knowing that our mere existence is enough. Mm-hmm. That's the very first step. And because we miss it, right? We're so busy on the 10th step that we miss that simple, I'm here, so thus, I'm enough. Because the reality of it is, we could not be here. hmm Many people did not wake up today. So we got to remember that simplicity and work from that point. So we can do one, two, three, four, five, instead of waking up and beginning at number 10. Yeah. And have the things that you think you haven't done enough of. I, I could probably name 10 people who haven't even come close to what you've done. So, you know, there's just no point in comparing yourself in that way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's a a bad cycle. It
1: is. (laughs) Um, Uh, A book that I think you should read is Rest is Resistance. Uh, It did wonders for me just recently. I just read that during the pandemic. And um, I read it again after I lost my election because, again, losing in our country is, is like one of those things that make, you know, make you feel some kind of way because the world society script says losing is so bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this book talks about rest being resistance and an opportunity to see better when you don't have anything to do. That's when you actually can make a plan. And so losing became my opportunity to learn and figure out my next step. And I needed to rest in order to do that. So rest is resistance. Trisha, I think Green somebody, I don't know. Trisha somebody, she wrote it.
0: <laughs> okay, I will look into that. Thank you. Sure.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: Another thing that you had mentioned was your passion for helping youth. Mm-hmm. I have worked with kids in a wide range of things from just being like a nanny au pair um to I worked at like a girls empowerment camp nice uh that was a big eye-opener for me because they were so little and Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean I'm young I'm not a mother but it was like I was it was practice for me of how I want to raise my daughters in the future and I loved it so Mm. can you tell us a little more about some things that you've done for youth and why you were drawn to that group, especially. And how did that change like pre post motherhood?
1: Mm, yeah. Great questions. Um, so I'm an only child, didn't even know that I wanted children. <laughs> In fact, I I never said I wanted children as a kid. Um I think that my draw towards advocating for kids started with my kids, knowing, learning what environments were like for them um, and reflecting on my childhood. My parents were definitely great advocates for me in school. Reflecting on that experience, reflecting on their experience, reflecting on what I could do, reflecting on my knowledge in the world, um, my experience and how I could impact their experience in a positive way, became my initial thing, right? It wasn't necessarily gonna become my job. But in doing that and seeing the opportunities that were afforded to all kids, um, initially fighting for my kids, but then fighting for all kids, it really gave me joy. Um, And it goes back to my belief that someone did it for me and they did not know my name that is a value of mine. I'm required to do it for somebody else. And to me, doing it for youth is easy because they are immediately impacted when something positive happens to their world. They also don't have a lot of societal script understanding, so their response to it is very genuine and like, in the moment, um, clear that they're joyful happy safe all those things become very clear yeah so it makes it easy to do it for them um but more importantly I think it's the the concept that uh it takes one this is a quote and I don't know who said this but it's it's another value of mine it takes one caring adult to change a child's life and I always want to be that one caring adult Mm -hmm. Um, I've had several in my life. I was gifted with that, powerful, caring adults, people with influence and understanding and life experiences that, I mean, my mom's best friend was James Baldwin's sister, um, who brought with her Toni Morrison, Alice Walker. These people were in my house on a regular basis, right? So these are powerful people who were speaking into my head Mm -hmm. Uh, and so reflecting on that and knowing that I can do that also is very important to me Um, and I'll never stop fighting for kids never it'll I will do that until the day I die
0: I have a book recommendation for you yeah uh somebody someone
1: somebody someone someone else told me about this book who wrote that do you know
0: I can't remember I read it years ago um And actually, I got it because my mom for 20 years was a y- y- juvenile probation officer. Mm. Um And she has worked with kids her entire life. And she always says, like, really, really good kids make one bad decision. And that's usually a lot of things that are heaped on them whether that be like lack of parenting or lack of Mm -hmm. education and school opportunities, but all these things lead to a bad decision. And that shouldn't be a rut that they get stuck in for the rest of their life. So she works, she now works with adults, but she worked with children her whole life. And that's where her passion is, is like Mm -hmm. helping these youth. And one of the boys that was on her caseload gave her this book
1: and said, You
0: are my someone, and like you helped me turn my life around. And so she read okay. it, she let me read it, or let me read it. And it's a great book about how a um, person in your life can change everything.
1: That is an incredible gift for a kid to give someone. That's incredible. And that speaks volumes of her, of her work. I will absolutely read this. I mean, we're stuck in a house with ice, so with this nope. ice storm. So <laughs> I will find it and read it.
0: it yeah. <laughs> It's a good book. I mean, I read tons and tons of books all the time, and that's one that I think about often that stands out in my head a lot.
1: That's awesome. Love that. Love that story, too.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I think we're going to move into the second part of this, and I want to kind of switch tracks, talk about something that is, in the last few years, been a like something that I've dealt with a lot kind of all of a sudden and that is intersectionality Mm -hmm. I feel like this word and this concept like kind of snapped into my life and hasn't really left Mm -hmm. and it's something that I really enjoy explaining to people because you can kind of tell when there's like an aha moment Mm -hmm. like I get it and as a real quick explanation just for the audience intersectionality is like The way I explain it is social identifiers and how multiple people have multiple, how one person has multiple social identities and Mm. each of those things create who you are and your individual self. And I cannot explain intersectionality without explaining a scene from Pitch Perfect 2 because in this movie... They have the perfect script to explain this concept and (laughs) there's a scene all the girls are on the bus leaving some singing thing that they do in the movie Mm -hmm. and um, one of the characters they're in an argument and one of the characters says like bitch I'm black gay and a woman like don't tell me how hard things are. And I think about that every time I think about intersectionality, because (laughs) that's the definition of what it is. It's just how each of these social identifiers make up yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that being said, I would like you to talk about how your social identities and your intersectionality has gotten you where you are and how those things that may have been kind of perceived as disadvantages, how you have like used them to your own advantage to get you to be so successful.
1: Yeah. So I always like to ground these conversations around intersexuality or just my experience, especially as a Black woman from the concept that I am from New York City, right? It's very different growing up in New York City as a Black young girl. It's empowering. And it wasn't until I left New York City that I realized that people were having different experiences based on identity politics, social scripts, social society scripts, all these things, right? It just was a different experience for me. Um, Intersectionality to me is really important because I identify as many things, right? I am a black woman um, who also is strong and power is important to me in terms of strength and how I approach things and my confidence. Um, all these things are very important to me. It, it, they all make up Libra. And um, being able to do all those things in a way that's safe and honoring me completely has not been easy because a lot of times some things are okay and then other things are not. The reality is that with intersectionality, I shouldn't have to divide pieces of myself, right? I should be able to show up with all my pieces as a whole puzzle and be safe, secure, and able in every space that I decide to be in, as well as me receiving everyone else as their whole selves, all their pieces, and they should be safe, secure, and able in those spaces. And we all know that it's just not true. And the work that I do is is beautiful, because I get to talk about Justice, which I think is the, the aim of intersectionality, the aim of equality, the aim of equity is really justice, which we have not received yet. No one. And justice to me is this world where I can love and be loved by all as my whole self, as their whole self without anything becoming the reason or the excuse for anything less than. Mm -hmm. And to work towards that is what I get to do every day, which I am privileged to do that. Difficult work because we've never seen it. People actually don't know how to metabolize some of these conversations because it's not something we ever have tapped into. I will say that I've had experiences that are probably closer to justice than others, but it's not all the time and it's not in every space and it's not with everyone. And so that's where the challenges are coming in. Mm -hmm. But I say all that to say that I think we as a society have to figure out how to enjoy and celebrate uniqueness. And as a young child in New York City who was 6'5, I'm 6'5, as a stand 6'5 as a woman, I was this height at 11. Uniqueness became my primary thing. And I had people around me who celebrated uniqueness in a way that by the time I was 20, if you looked at me crazy because I was 6'5, I thought you were crazy because I had an environment that loved me and and allowed me to love them as my whole self. So I didn't have any problems with being who I am until someone tried to make it my problem. Right. We have to figure out how to do that better for every single individual that may or may not agree with each other, may or may not look like each other, may or may not exist, as, all those things. We still can love and be loved in environments and feel safe, se- secure, and able. That is the goal.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you said it wasn't your problem until someone made it your problem. Yeah. And I've noticed that in my own work with children, that is something that continuously draws me back, the working and teaching children, mm-hmm. is that they don't this is like it's not a nature thing to see other people's faults that is something that is taught and learned and nurtured um and when you're working with kids who don't compare me to a man or don't compare me to someone who is older or a different level of education it's refresh it's well it's extremely refreshing because they just don't know to compare that and intersectionality is not a thing to kids because comparison is not a thing to children. And that is something that I always love working with the youth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Comparison is definitely not the thing. It's the opposite actually, right? Like they celebrate when they see something really different. Mm-hmm. Um. And a great example is that like, you know, I'll see a kid in a store or something that's maybe five and they'll look at me I'm towering over them right and you can see their eyes are like okay this is different never seen it before well this is different right but the the look is curiosity Mm -hmm. it's not um fear or or any of those kind of negative emotions It's curiosity right and so then my immediate engagement with them is where I have an opportunity to show them that this, your curiosity is good. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go, let's go there, right? Let's be good together. Um, And then they, they, they jump on that wagon, right? They're like, oh, oh, okay, we can talk about, it. Uh, 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 you know, and they're all in it, right? Um, And then that becomes their experience. And it is really the onus on adults in those situations where uniqueness is there, difference is there for us to to give them a reframing that is really healthy, and I will give you an example. Recently, I have a nail tech that I've been with for four years, and I'm a nail person. I did person. notice.
0: I did notice how gorgeous your my
1: nails. nails. They are black and white identity. polka dots. Yeah, it, it's part of my identity. Um, and so she's an artist, and so I love artistry, and I love people who express themselves in an art form. And she has uh, two young daughters who during the pandemic, I was going to her house. So got to know them really well. Um, uh, this family is a white family, definitely rural born, not a lot of encounters with people like me, like, you know, I'm different to her kids. Um, so recently, she says to me, so actually, my nails are brown and white. Oh, okay. They look black and white from far. But yeah. so she was I was like, hey, we've never done brown before. We are having this conversation. This was literally like a week ago. And she's like, yeah, brown's one of my favorite colors. And I'm like, oh, man, I never knew that. And she's like, yeah, the girls, the other day, I was painting um, something they were doing. She was painting brown. because She's she's an artist, so she's always painting or something. Mm -hmm. And her daughter said to her, ooh, brown, that looks like poop. And she says to her, actually... It looks like root beer, your favorite drink. And her daughter says, Oh, you're right. I love it. Immediately reframed. Right. Mm-hmm. Now she's telling me this story because she knows I love her daughters and she's just talking. Right. And I stop her and I say, Brilliant, mom. Brilliant. And she's like, What do you mean? I said, You just reframed her whole life. Yeah. On... Her whole life, that simple moment, right of you just switching it. Now she did it because Brown's important to her. she likes yeah. it, right But that changed her daughter's entire vision of that color
0: mm-hmm. in
1: that one split second forever. Mm-hmm. But we have to be intentional about those moments, right We have to be in, we have to be listening, we have to be alert especially with children, formative years, right? These are, yeah, you don't want her walking around calling brown poop, yeah, is, is poop brown? Yes, but should we be relating it that way all the time? No, it's a deficit thinking. Mm-hmm. So she gave her, she empowered her. She's like, is her favorite drink. I was like, bro, you changed her whole life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great story and a great parenting example. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I want to talk about another thing too because I have been in groups and been leading groups that are not diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I consistently say, like, diversity isn't always something that we think it is, and mm. diversity doesn't always have to mean just gender and just color. And I say like, who here has played a sport before? Mm. Or who here has two parents who aren't a mom and dad? And who here has an only child or more than five siblings? And I try to emphasize that diversity can come in a lot of ways and that intersectionality is a lot of different things. And Mm -hmm. I like how you mentioned your height as kind of being one of those that is a very clear social identifier that you are very tall. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just another thing that makes you unique. So something that makes me unique, though you might not be able to tell from me, is a lot of things in my past or my interests or like my future goals. And I always try to emphasize those so that intersectionality has a meaning for everyone, even if they think it does not apply to them.
1: Well, and it's only around the corner that it will apply to them. Right. Unfortunately, um, they're not paying attention because the immediate visible things that may be more obvious on someone like me are not their reality. But at some point, unfortunately, the practice that is happening on the visibly obvious, unique individuals of our society are the practices for everyone eventually. They're, they're, they're coming to a store near you. I tell folks this all the time. So pay attention now, right? Another example is recently, so yesterday, Saturday, we had Tina and Amy, the Mean Girls comedians come to Portland.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I had a friend that she bought tickets. We were going to go on Saturday. It was two shows, in an evening one. Ice Storm thursday night into friday right saturday is a mess in oregon right but it's like an inch mess right but that inch you know being here is ice so it's like a ice skating rink right you know so these individuals who are from back east one's from boston right so they don't cancel they don't cancel Hmm. and uh if you go to their page it is just just running narratives of people saying how could you not consider our existence how could you not consider how we function here how could you be so inconsiderate how could you how could you how could you?" and I literally was like this is it like you guys this is it right these are probably same individuals who Could not understand some of the things that I'm challenged with in my day in terms of the things Mm -hmm. that I exist with. But in this moment, they're like, why can't you see my existence? Why can't you see that I have a deficit here and you did not honor it? Live it. Live it. And I'm like, welcome to the world when we don't consider each other in all of our existence. This is what it feels like. And this is a safe one, right? Like okay, you lost a little bit of money, I get it, not cool. But you're safe. You're cool. This is not a like a deadly one.
0: Yeah. Um so what you just I study in school. I study international relations. Um nice. international politics, but I want to do that on a human rights, women's rights level. Hmm. Um but I I take a lot of political classes and The basis of every political class is what is the definition of politics, which is a very hard thing to describe. And I think you just described politics Mm. when you said, why can't you see that I have a deficit and why are we not changing something about that? And Mm -hmm. to me, that's how politics works, is that people like you or like me see a deficit and we want to change it. And we do that politically.
1: Yeah. Um, Diversity matters because if, let's say, this was a group, if someone from Oregon was not at that table, mm -hmm. then you don't see the deficit. Exactly. But in, in a diverse table, you would have someone from Oregon who would say, hello. So actually, this is what the reality is that maybe you guys don't know. Let me share this with you. And that's where diversity is super important at a politics table, at any table, because everyone's existence will be represented. So then you can have a full conversation of all things and possibly not see, not miss something. Mm -hmm. Possibly, you know, we're human, but possibly not miss something. Mm
0: -hmm. And though geographically there are laws that, make Oregon represented at tables there are not always voices that are represented such as female voices voices of color etc things that relate to this intersectionality that we're talking about so it's all just a full circle of everything we've been talking about for the last hour Mm -hmm. coming back around
1: and and the last thing what you said about uniqueness and you know your question is about owning that. To me, that's where when you want to show up in spaces or you want to be in spaces, owning your new uniqueness gives you absolute value. Because what you can represent and the voice that you have is unlike any other person at that table. That should be an asset. That should be a value that we consider and honor. And that is, in itself, understanding it, showing up with that confidence is what I believe is needed more, not just from the person knowing they bring that, but also from the people wanting it. That is the key to me, to justice, is knowing, yeah, I'm I'm different. I'm not like you. And I'm going to be this way at this table because I know it offers a voice that will help make informed decisions for us all. Hmm.
0: Yes. This is, this is good. I needed to let that fester in my brain for a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about intersectionality and how you have used that to your advantage and what advice would you give to people that have either, like, very noticeable social differences, no social differences, they don't think that they're special or unique, how would they use that as an advantage to their own success?
1: Hmm. Um, I think an example would help bring home my how... One one of the things I've done in my career is affordable housing, uh, partnerships with nonprofits, working with development companies. And development companies come with a lot of money and a lot of experience in building. that nonprofits don't, right? And that partnership is really important. And my first experience at the table of a partnership like that, they spoke a lot about the resources they bring. And the resources being millions of dollars. Clear, right? They were the guarantors, they were taking all of the risk financially, and they could put a dollar amount to it. And when they were done on this kind of monologue of we bring so much money to the table, I said, I appreciate that and we're excited to be here and learn from you guys about those resources. But at the same time, we bring an invaluable resource and that is community. And we bring an invaluable resource and in that's relationships. And though we may not be able to put an exact dollar amount on it, that value at this table is irreplaceable. So you are replaceable. I can find somebody else with money. We are not. And in that moment, I remember the owner saying to me, I've never come to a table thinking that someone else was outvaluing us. Because we've always had so much cash. Mm -hmm. This is the first moment that I realized we've always been outvalued. So I say that to say my advice to everyone is know your value. Because more than likely in you owning your uniqueness and you owning who you are, you're going to outvalue everybody else at the table. And though that is not the goal, because we all should be respecting each other, Not knowing your value makes you irreplaceable. makes you replaceable, excuse me. But knowing your value and knowing that it is unique and no one else comes with it makes you irreplaceable. And we need you at every table. So own it. Mm -hmm. Uh, My father's favorite quote, and I always like to tell people this, he was an actor. He would always say, Libra, there's only one role to play. Because every other role is taken, so play it well. Hmm. And as a kid, I'd be like, "Oh God, Dad, okay." And now that he's no longer here, I get it, and I'm playing my role.
0: Mm-hmm. You're doing a standing ovation for Libra. Oh, thank you. Stellar <laughs> <her> job. <laughs> thank you. Um, that was a great answer, and. Yeah, that was a very helpful answer. Um, as we kind of wrap this up. Yep. What are your next steps? What are you, what do you have your sights set on now?
1: Um, I am enjoying having my children close um, and seeing their evolution as they define who they are. Um, I'm loving my work at Women's Foundation of Oregon. I get to create an environment that I believe in, um, and that's been exciting. Um, and last but not least, you know, I'm still involved in politics, just not as a candidate. Um, so I'm still advocating for kids, and I sit on the state boards. So I'm still, you know, directly influencing, you know, good work towards our future. But I think if I was to just summarize what's next for me. I think um, I will always resist uh, in life. I will always resist things that are harmful. And I will always elevate those things that are helpful. And I will do it in a big way, with a big voice, and boldly, and without any hesitation. And that's always going to be next for me.
0: Hmm. The Oregonian did describe you as formidable. So it seems that you match that description.
1: (laughs) I think uh yeah, the Ori Onionist uh said a few things about me. You know, I try not to read that stuff because (laughs) sometimes I don't know, they're not always nice, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they've said a few nice things about me. I do think that people realize that I cannot be silenced. I think people are very clear about that about me.
0: Yeah. I don't think that's a criticism.
1: No, not at all. I, okay. I think it's a great thing. That's I, I own that. <laughs> that's good.
0: Um, this has been an incredible discussion, and I'm very grateful to you. Uh, Like we talked about before, um, I first heard you speak at a march in 2020 during COVID. Mm. Uh, you and your daughter spoke, and I was there with a group of my friends, and we all kind of looked around it was specifically after your daughter spoke we looked around and we were like wow that was just hearing someone that was our age um in high school like that was quite a significant moment I remember that Mm -hmm. I think about it I think about that time that period of my life and The work that I did and the work that I do and what you do and I followed you on social medias and both of my mothers follow you on social media and they were the ones that encouraged me to reach out to you because they respect your work so much. So I am so grateful and kind of a bit in shell shock that this even happened, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it went great and just thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, I, I'm grateful that you reached out to me. Um, thank you to your parents for even offering me as an option. You know, I'm still Libra from Harlem. And so I, um, it, it's it it's tough for me to metabolize when people feel the way that you feel. I believe you mm-hmm. um, and I honor what you're saying and I respect it and I'm super humbled by it. Um, and at the same time, you know, transparency is that I still have this like view of me in Harlem walking home, you know, and then people are like, oh my God, I respect it. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like Libra from Harlem, right? right. <laughs> um, uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and these moments are not just about me talking. I learned that my speaking is also my elevation and thought. It is how I evolve as a thinker and a person. Um, so I appreciate these moments because I, I get a lot out of it also.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said selfishly, I'm not sure who in the audience will get more out of this conversation than I did, but <laughs> I challenge them to try. Because <laughs> <laughs> this too- this was helpful for my future that has a lot of awesome. yeah and let
1: and keep me posted i want to know um how you how you're moving through the world and yeah. if there's anything i can help with just let me know and reach out
0: i appreciate that cool
1: well thank all you right. so much right,
0: thank you for being right. here
1: absolutely anytime
0: that is going to complete the show for today thank you all for listening Thank you to Libra. I'm beyond grateful for the opportunity that I had to interview with you today and get to know you better and hear your thoughts on so many different things that were so helpful. I hope they're helpful to listeners as well. And thank you for being here. Have a great month and I will see you in March. Big plans coming for March, International Women's Day, National Women's Month. So looking forward to seeing you all back here next month for Kinda Radical. Goodbye.